chapter 12. And so here we are in Luke chapter 12, and it's, it's an interesting passage because here in Luke chapter 12, we're going to have Jesus speaking a little bit about peace. Now, when you think about Jesus, you probably think a lot of times, and rightly so, that, wow, here is the Prince of Peace. I mean, that was the prophetic utterance about him by Isaiah, the prophet in Isaiah 9, that he is not only mighty counselor, but he is the Prince of Peace. I mean, that's Jesus is peace. I love peace. My license plate says peace in Greek, although you wouldn't know it because it's E-I-P-H-V-H. And believe it or not, that's Irene in Greek, and, and that is the word for peace. Wouldn't love peace. Peace is an amazing state that we all want to be in. Peace is not, I mean, biblical peace, it's not just the absence of mess. And it's not just tranquility. It's not just felicity and, and the happiness of life, but it's, it's the sweetness of life. You know, la dolce vita, not la vita loca, la dolce vita. You know, the, that, that fullness of life to the full and the beauty of, of all that goes with that. That's how significant shalom is, the, the arene, the, the peace of God. And who doesn't love that? Who doesn't, you know, uh, aspire to, to that being what our life is about? And so it's a bit of a surprise when we encounter Jesus, the Prince of Peace, giving us a bit of a lesson on peace as we encounter it right here. And let's go ahead and take a look at it. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 49. I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint I am under until it is completed. I'm going to stop there for a minute because there's a lot of phrases that maybe they can just kind of swing right past us here. But when he says, I've come to bring fire on the earth, there's no mistaking what that reference is. I mean, earlier when Luke talks about preparing the way for Jesus, he's saying, I'm, get, I'm getting you all ready for Jesus. Because the axe is already at the root of the tree, and every one of you all trees that doesn't bear good fruit is going to be cut down and thrown into the fire, unless you repent. A little later on, it, he says of Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. That also has a bunch of cultural references that go past us. But I remember being in Israel and being on a little bit of a hill where they had a threshing area and they had a, a threshing fork and a pile of wheat. And the wheat has kind of heavier kernels and then it has the lighter chaff that's, that's around it. Um, I, I don't know. Think of um, what would be a, a good example of that. But, uh, but maybe, um, you know, sunflower seeds, if they were kind of looser, you know, the, the seeds would be the chaff and then the nut itself uh, would be the kernel. And, and so anyway, with wheat, you would be on top of a hill where there'd often be a good bit of wind. You'd take the fork and you'd throw the wheat up into the air. And as you would toss it up into the air, the wind would be coming and the lighter kind of papery chaff would be blown aside and down would fall only the kernels. And the more that you do that, the more that you refine it and more you're left with only the kernels. And then the chaff 
would, would blow away or maybe form a pile on the side. And it wasn't good for anything, so you would burn it up. But that's a reference to us if we're not among those who really do repent. And Jesus says, I, I come to bring that very fire. I, I am coming in a, in a judgment sense. And make no mistake about the fullness of what my mission is. Now, I come to head it off and I come to interrupt it so that you are the wheat and not the chaff. I come and that is my purpose. He'll, he'll tell us later as we read in Luke 19.10, I came to seek and save those that are lost so that you can avoid that unquenchable fire that would await those in, in judgment. Now, he also then says, and not only that, but I have, I have a, a baptism to be baptized with. Now, Jesus was already baptized. We, we read about that earlier in the Gospel of Luke. So what is it that he's, he's talking about now that I have this baptism to be baptized by? That's the, the literal wording of verse 50. I have a baptism by which to be baptized. And what, um, what or, an ordeal it is, what anxiety, I mean, not, not that he's worrying, but what, um, uh, what, what a stressor it is that I'm under until it is finally finished. And that word finished is teleo. And when he's on the cross and he says it is finished, he says the same word, teleo. So he's under a deep stress until this ordeal that is his. Now, here's an interesting thing about the word bapti uh, bap uh, baptism. But in the Greek, baptizo. There's a similar word in Greek, bapto, which means to dip. So you want to dip something in water, whatever it might be, dip your paintbrush in paint, it would be bapto. But if, if you're using the word baptizo, it has a, a deeper idea of a total submersion, but it can be from two different perspectives. It could be that you're submerging something you know, into the ocean, or it could be that the ocean is submerging you as the waves roll over you. And that is the idea of being overwhelmed. Uh, for example, an avalanche can overwhelm you. Well, in Koine Greek, the idea of the avalanche coming and overwhelming you, or the waves coming and overwhelming you, is the, the Greek word baptizo. So when Jesus is saying, you know, I've got something really overwhelming that is coming my way, and it's about to overwhelm me. And I am under a great deal of pressure until it is finally completed. So that's, that would be kind of why he's using this, this language here um, if, of that he has this ordeal or this overwhelming enterprise that awaits him. Moving on. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? That'd be a good survey question, wouldn't it? Even to go out and say, hey, let me ask you. Do you think that Jesus came to bring peace on earth? And it would be interesting even to see what the survey results would be. And then even as you take that survey results, uh, say, and, and by the way, can I read you a verse about that? Okay, here it goes. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No. No, I tell you, but division. Jesus answers it rather quickly. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, 
Wow, who knew that a mother-in-law and daughter-in-law would not get along? And daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Covers a lot of the big ones. You know what I appreciate in Jesus giving these examples? He doesn't say parents versus kids. Because then we're like, well, of course, yes. I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. So that, that one's not included in all of this. Because these splits that occur are going to occur not just for normal, everyday little tiffs that we have with one another, but it's going to be for a much, much bigger reason. But I, but I want to get back to this idea of all of us grow up with a very deep preconception, picture in our mind of Jesus, you know, Prince, Prince of Peace, um, as, as, as he appears. Right. And, you know, think about the hymns that we sing. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on everlasting arms. Peace, 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 peace. The gospel in a word is peace. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Lord, we praise your name. O Lord, we magnify your name. Prince of peace, mighty God. O Lord God almighty. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And of course, Isaiah, as I referenced earlier, tells us at the birth of Jesus, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And even as Jesus is prophesied throughout Luke's gospel itself, it is told as the gospel opens up, and you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. This is speaking about John the Baptist as he gets ready to, to um, be a herald, letting everybody know about Jesus. To give his people... That is, John the Baptist, you will give Jesus' people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of shalom, a reine, to guide them into peace as the ultimate destination of those that would be met by the gospel. When Jesus' birth occurs and there's the great heavenly hosts that appear in glory on the countryside to the shepherds, it says suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the gospel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. I mean, this is all about the very introduction of Jesus. And then Jesus, when he gives his disciples marching orders of how to go out and present the good news, the gospel, he says to them, and we studied this not too long ago in Luke 10, he says, all right, here's how you go about it. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there with you, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. And later, Peter, who is such an integral part of this passage, even as we looked at last week, when he began to preach the message of Christ and the good news, he said to Cornelius in his household, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. And so 
it is a, uh, an interesting contrast that we have here with Jesus saying, so what do you think? Let's take a little survey. Yes? No? Do I come to bring peace on the earth? Now, it's, it's not as though the Bible is contradicting itself, but really I think what Jesus is doing is helping us to understand not only the depth of peace, but how it is that you get there. Inigo Montoya is famous for saying, you keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. And for most of us, I know we were talking last night, we had a few people over. In my house growing up, you know what peace meant? It meant, let's just ignore the fact that we were screaming at the top of our lungs with expletives one to another, mother to son, brother to brother, every combination in the household, saying horrid things that can never be taken back. But you know how we'll achieve peace? Let's just all go away, pretend it didn't happen, and the first person that acts civilly to the other signals the fact that it's all over with and we can have peace with one another. And that was how we forged through to have peace in our home. And the minute there was any normalcy at all in the way that my mom talked to me or I talked to my brother and pick out the combination, suddenly, suddenly you started being like, ah, oh, okay, so we have peace now. However, that stuff comes seeping out of all sorts of pores and all sorts of ways. And did we have a hair trigger for the decades to come? We did until we finally really learned what it was to really fight and forge a real peace that is a, a biblical peace. You know, for the world, it's a lowest common denominator peace. It's a facile peace. It's a fragile peace. It's an easy path, broad road peace that we want. Why? Because I just want to be hassled. Just leave me alone. Now, teens, you've got to admit to this, that, yeah. you know what, your life is good as long as your parents aren't hassling you and you get to text if you're a girl or play Xbox if you're a boy. Bottom line, that is the great shalom of your existence, as, as it is there. Don't settle for that. Married couples, likewise. Hey, you know what? As long as my wife is willing to, you know, kind of be intimate with me, well, then I, I don't care what else is going on in our life. All is good, and I'm, I'm happy, and that, that's peace for me right now. Or, or maybe it's with some of the wives, hey, as long as my husband's all right with me kind of, you know, using the checkbook and, you know, a certain way that I want to use it. And no matter what else was said a little while ago, you know what? Shalom, baby. That's fine by me. Now, those are stereotypical and it may not meet your particular situation. Or maybe it flips around male, male, female in some of these. But nonetheless... It, it is the way that the world goes about it. Yeah. Here's what's interesting also that Jesus says at the Last Supper, as he gathers his guys around him and he's explained to them, I'm, I'm going to be uh, going. What do you mean going? I mean going. I'm like out of here, out of this world. You're not going to know it just yet, but it's going to evolve across and it's going to evolve an ascension back into the heavenly realms itself. And when, when he says this, he does say to them, though, my peace I leave you, my peace I give you. But I do not give you as the world gives. So don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. 
a shallow piece, a fragile piece, a facile pre, uh, uh, piece, that doesn't leave you with this kind of sentiment. That just leaves you waiting for the other shoe to drop around the house and hoping that somebody doesn't have a foul word because, uh-oh, we're right back to the mess and the Cold War that settled in over our home just a couple days earlier, and back we go. But when we have fought for this kind of peace that Jesus is speaking about, not, he says, I'm going to give you peace, but I don't give it to you as the world gives. And I don't think you understand peace the way that I'm trying to get you to understand peace. Later in that same dinner, as he's concluding his time before they go out to pray and before his arrest, Jesus says to them, I've told you these things. We've had this talk so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Well, he's about to be able to bring that peace, but only after the overwhelming overwhelm ordeal that he is about to undergo. How does Jesus bring peace? He doesn't bring it by some easy, lowest common denominator, path of least resistance. He brings peace by thoroughly attacking the way that he needs to. And as a matter of fact, in the middle of that, you know, while peace I leave you, my peace I give you, take heart, you're going to have troubles in this world, but, but I, uh, in me, you will have peace. In the middle of all of this discourse that he has, this conversation that he has at the, at the dinner, he says in the very middle of it, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. You want peace in the world on your own terms? Well, then go ahead and compromise up one way, down the other on Jesus Christ. And the world will give you the high five and give you the embrace. But stand firm on what Jesus really, really means. And it's going to be a different experience with the world. Because what the world wants to do is it can't, can't we just all get along somehow? And there's some, we're all human beings, certainly there ought to be a way that we can all get along. Why don't we just kind of drop all of these kind of dogma that everybody wants to hold on to so that we can all just have a nice little happy fest one with another. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. The world thinks that real peace will come through tolerance even of ideas. Jesus says just the opposite. Tolerate people. Love people, for sure. Tolerate completely in that realm, but don't tolerate ideas that tear down the very fabric of what it means to be delivered in Jesus. And he, and he does say, there is no other way, no other name under heaven by which men can be saved. That doesn't promote peace in this world. But when you fight through all of the turmoil in the world and end up in Jesus, then you know, yes, it is a, a more narrowly defined peace. Yes, indeed. But it is true peace and a radical peace. There's always the temptation, however, to try to have politics of appeasement in our lives. And the most classic example of that, my first point is peace, peace for our time. The phrase peace for our time was uttered by this gentleman who is uh, the Prime Minister of Great Britain, uh, Neville Chamberlain. And he said it on September 30th of 1938. Right. And holding in his hands 
is a document that he has signed and that Herr Hitler has signed. And there he says, this morning I had another talk with the German Chancellor, Herr Hitler, and here is the paper which bears his name upon it as well as mine. Some of you perhaps have already heard what it contains, but would like to just read it to you. And he goes on to read it to them. And then he concludes later at saying that day, my good friends, for a second time in our history, a British prime minister has returned from Germany, bringing peace with honor. I believe it is peace for our time. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Go home and get a nice quiet sleep. That is Neville Chamberlain's definition of peace. Let's just kind of whitewash this situation. Let's be able to claim peace on paper, even though we see the tanks, we see the German troop movements, even though Czechoslovakia is already in their sights and is already in their rearview mirror, even though all of this has, has occurred, uh, even though Copenhagen is, is only just a, a few months away, Nonetheless, let's claim peace because that way we don't have to get our hands dirty. But true peace often involves a whole lot more than appeasement. And the reason why this is such a famous photograph for historians is that it was only a few months later that Hitler brought all of Europe into World War II. And, uh, and it was then at, at that point that Winston Churchill had to be able to really take the leadership reins rather than Neville Chamberlain and his policy of appeasement, which ended up doing nothing but ignoring the issue, putting a head in the sand while Hitler ramped up the, the, the machine of war that he was able to then wreak havoc with all throughout the, the, um, the, the European landscape. Putting your head in the sand, politics of appeasement accomplishes nothing. And... And likewise, for us, this idea of the reason that this says not just peace for our time, but peace, peace for our time, because I'm also trying to refer to the classic statement of false prophets that the Bible tells us. And what, what, what is that statement? Right here from Jeremiah 6.14. Speaking of the false prophets, the false teachers, Jeremiah writes, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. You don't want to deal with sin? You're not going to have peace. You don't want to deal with conflict? You're not going to have peace. You don't want to deal with some of the taboos that you thought you could hold on to in darkness rather than bringing it even into the light and allowing the blood of Jesus to really be able to take it away? You won't ever know peace. But most of the world, most of the religious world, most of Christianity is more than quite content with having this approach to claiming peace. Hey, you know what? Here's how you can have your soul reconciled to God. Don't worry about thinking about your sin so much. Don't worry about repentance so much. Don't worry about making redress or, or being able to do right in situations where you've done wrong. Don't even worry about getting open and real and getting advice and counsel and, and even having the light be able to be shed on your life. Just come on up here and pray this prayer with me. Just say this little prayer and at the end of it, peace, peace. You're good to go. Here's your band-aid 
And by the way, it has a happy little picture on it of Yogi Bear. I hope that makes your... Oh, I'm sorry, Yogi Bear, we're in the world. <laughs> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, right there, on your Band-Aid. Hope it makes you happy. Any of us who've spent enough time in a, in a compromised version of Christianity know the real horror and danger of that approach. I mean, not, not only does it have no great effect on the deep peace that we really desire, and then, and then to be able to kind of try to make it all all right because we haven't really changed, we haven't been delivered, we don't know the power of the gospel to be able to help us to be unshackled from the power of sin through repentance and no longer be a slave to lust, be a slave to pornography, be a slave to bitterness, be a slave to unforgiveness. We never know what it is to be unshackled from that. And so then we just make up this idea that let's, let's come up with this phrase that doesn't exist in the Bible. Once saved, always saved. So that way, no matter how much you don't repent, and I know your conscience is killing you because you don't have peace. So why don't you just try to put that over it? And maybe that little anesthesia will help you at times when you don't really recognize the peace. And it just gets worse and worse because all of it promotes darkness. And all of it gives Satan a greater foothold for us to become more and more uh, corrupted and, and polluted by, by it all that, that he wants to be able to bring our way. My second point, go, going back to Luke 12. Jesus says in this idea, you know, I, I come not to bring peace, but I bring division. Wow. And that division is not Jew-Gentile. And I think the, the words of the people hearing that would think, oh, Jew-Gentile division. I get it. That, that makes sense. Finally, the Messiah has come. He's drawn a line in the sand. And if you're a Jew, you're good. If you're a Gentile, you're the chaff that will be burned up by the unquenchable fire. Bring it to them, Jesus. You know what? I wish it were lit too. If we had a flamethrower, maybe we could take them all out right now. You and me, Jesus. Amen. Let's bring it. That would have been the mindset of the audience hearing this. And so when this audience has their mind blown, no, 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 I'm talking about your homes. Your homes. The real message of the Messiah, the real deliverance of God is going to be such a polarizing issue that it's going to divide right down the middle of your home. It'll be like that Munsters episode where they had to paint the big white line through the house. Remember that? It was great. I'm trying as hard as I can to confuse you guys over there. <laughs> but, but homes will be divided. And... You know, I love, uh, I love all the, the mafia movies where you always get the phrase, you know, because you can't divide the home. No matter what, yo, blood is thicker than water. And, that's, and that's, so it, it, what, is, what does that mean? It's a, it's a reminder that family bonds are more important than temporary relationships that you have with friends. You know, it's kind of like your mom saying, I don't care that your buddy wants him, wants him to help you move that day. It's your mom's birthday. And blood is thicker than water. And it always gets thrown in at the end of it with that kind of, uh, kind of an argument. And, and it's usually used to shame family members who side with friends over their parents or siblings. Right. But, um, but of course, in the movies, it seems like it's always some mafia guy. 
uh, that seems to be uttering the phrase. But what Jesus is saying here, if, if I can take liberties with the phrase, water is actually thicker than blood. That when, when you are born of water and spirit, that means a whole lot more than being born of your parents. You know, we just spent an hour and a half this morning talking to Lindsay, saying to her, All right, Lindsay, you're about to make a deep decision to say that Jesus is Lord and give your life to him. And we want to make sure you're doing this no matter what. So what if, in the process of doing that, mom and I decide, you know what? What were we thinking? We could be keeping. We could be making the big bucks. And we're doing all this for, I don't know, some gospel? We're out of here. Catch you later. We'll be in the Caribbean. <laughs> and, and, you know, we didn't say it that way, by the way. But, but, Lindsay, are you going to stick with Jesus even if we're like, Lindsay, it's all jive. It's all jive. If we had an epiphany, Lindsay... It's, it's all a mess. Get out. Get out with us. Get out while the getting is good. You know, and, and making sure that, no, when you say Jesus is Lord, that, that water, that rebirth of water and spirit is thicker than blood. It doesn't matter what mom and I do. We're going to be out of our senses. You stay to your senses. Help us to come to our senses someday. But you do not give in. But, but, but too often, it's so easy to be sentimental. Even with our and, and not allow Jesus to be the polarizing figure. And, you know, we've got heroes. We've got heroes here. We've got spouses that have held the line. And rather than having a facile piece, a fragile piece, a fake-out piece of, of, of pretending that everything's okay, you've been okay with conflict in your home for year after year after year with your husband or your wife, knowing that because of your uncompromising, unflinching commitment to radical discipleship, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself every day aspect of your Christianity that it is going to cause this division that Jesus lays out. Why can't we just kind of go to church on Sunday, check the box, and go home and watch football? No, no, we are disciples of Jesus Christ in our home. That's, that, that's what this is about. And so as a result, there's been division that you guys have worked through, and in some cases, you're still fighting through it right now, and brava, bravo, that, that you, you, you do so, because you're allowing Jesus to be paramount in your life, and not comfort, in the, in the midst of all of that. You know, I, I think of even, you know, our, our, our dear friend, Heather and Brian, you know, in 2001, when, when he decided to take a powder on Jesus Christ, and... You know, he knew that, all right, Sunday church, I don't think I can get Heather to not go to Sunday church. So I won't fight that battle. But you know what? I'm going to attack her on the fringes. How about Friday night Bible talk? I'm going to go for that. Let's see how I do with that. And, and even he realized, I don't think I want her to not come to Sunday because, you know what? By following Jesus, I, I don't think she'll leave me. Praise God. And, but, but Friday, let me, let me see if I can, get, if I can kind of make some inroads there. And he, and he would attack, and he would attack, and he would joke, and he would undermine, and, and give, give uh, opportunity. You know, and Heather held the line. Heather held the line through it all. Um, you know, there's kind of the one famous incident I think he shared with us at different times where, you know, out, out she went to Bible talk, but to encourage him, she made him a beautiful banana bread. And, and left it there for him, a little note saying, we're off to Bible talk, but you know what? We'll be thinking about you. Enjoy the banana bread. And she got home, and the banana bread was all gone. She's like, Brian, did you eat the whole banana bread? He didn't eat the whole banana bread. 
he, out of spite, he took the banana bread and he threw it in the garbage and let her know that that's exactly what he did as soon as she left for a Bible talk. And little things like that over and over again. Not peace, but division. But guess what? Heather wore that man down. <laughs> Gives me hope. One day I might see him wearing a Giants jersey. <laughs> but because she would not accept a compromise of peace and, and, and lived with division, he was able to finally know true peace in Jesus Christ. But I think even more astoundingly, there's a brother preaching on the south side right now. He's a deacon in our church. And four years ago, his daughter was only 18 years old. And she decided that she wasn't going to follow Jesus. And as a matter of fact, she was going to compromise in a lot of different ways on Jesus, including a, uh, a relationship with a boyfriend that was in no way holy and, and some other lifestyle choices like that. And even though she was living in the house and she had a car and she had a cell phone, uh, he and his wife took her after explaining that you're going you're to give you a week to think this through. Here are the consequences. But at the end of this, we're not going to, in a sense, subsidize your life. And we know that, that it's going to be divisive and it's going to be difficult. But at the end, we're going to call you to a decision. And when she said, you know what, I still want to be able to live my life the way I want to live it, calling their bluff, that day, suddenly, she was without car keys. It was their car. She no longer had the car. She was also without house keys because she was no longer in the house. And then they took her to Walmart and bought her a track phone and said, all right, this is your phone now. You're going to be the one that, that actually fills it. Now, you've, you've, you've made this choice. It's going to be super difficult. This is the most painful thing of our lives. It was more tears on their part than, than they've ever had in their life, more anguish. Here's the interesting thing, too, uh, on this, is that in moments of sentimentality, it was actually the husband who was like, oh, I don't know, do you think maybe we've gone too far? And it was actually his wife who said, honey, come on, if, if we really do this out of faith, if we really do this out of faith that Jesus is going to work through this, something is going to happen. Something is really going to happen. Well... One year went by, nothing. Two years went by, nothing. Three years went by, got worse, even with the boyfriend and other issues. Worse and worse. But now as we come up to four years, she has not only come to her senses, she has not now just accepted a compromise of peace, she's not wanting to have her cake and eat it too. She has finally, because of the unrelenting standard of her family wow. that was so divided, Today, she's about to say, Jesus is Lord at the Southside service, and she is being baptized today. Aww. And that bond of, of water and spirit is going to be a forever one for them, thicker than water. In the age to come, when the quenchable fire comes through, they're going to be together. When the new Jerusalem comes down, the new heaven, the new earth is all revealed, they're going to be together. Yeah. Why? Because they know peace in Jesus, not peace in a compromised fashion the way that the world presents it. So whether this is something in your own family, something in your own heart, some sort of discontentment, whatever, let me encourage you, do not accept a compromise of peace, a compromise of the beauty and the power of shalom. 
It's not cheap. It doesn't happen easy. But it is worth it. And so as a final charge, well, I'm sorry, one one other thing. Jesus, even as, as he talks about family, he says, after being told, your mother, your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he said, basically, water's thicker than blood. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. And so for us, it's time for us to do it as well. Here's my encouragement. Go after peace, but don't do it the way that the world tries to convince you to do it. Bandage a wound in your own life, a sin that needs to come out, a repentance that really needs to be accomplished, a bitterness that needs to really be brought into light of day. Bandage a wound thoroughly so that you can know true peace. The peace that Jesus gives, the peace that abides. Amen.